0: A dark evening in Alley Tower begins. And infamous, but not too infamous, Dr. Alley sits at his desk, pondering the welfare of his project.
1: But unfortunately, the latest game we tested did nothing to bring our podcast to life. It still sits lifeless on the table behind me. I promise you, we will succeed. We just need more time and the right combination of games. XOXO. Dr. Allais, moderator, Evil League of Evil, BTG Guild number 3874. Here, Boone, deliver this letter to the League.
2: Good evening, Dr. Alley.
1: Yaunch, I've told you a dozen times. It's
2: pronounced Alley. I thought you'd just say it that way to sound
1: more sophisticated. Oh, shut up. We've got work to do. Uh, what will we do next, boys? I feel like we've tried everything to come up with a truly evil scheme that will get us noticed. Well, Master, you did make that green monster come to life last week. <clears throat> That's of no value. Hmm. What we need is a truly evil podcast. I don't know what it will take, but if we can't bring this podcast to life, I'll never be promoted on the Guild. I need them to accept me as their leader, Dr. Christopher Lee Allais, primary contributor.
2: Technically, you're just a pathologist, so
1: not like a real doctor. I went to medical school. Besides, it's an evil-sounding persona.
0: I think the podcast just needs more themed episodes.
1: We've tried that this year, Cram. Ships, anthropomorphism, Uh, um. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, shut up. Most people just don't care that much about theme, Cram. We need more mechanisms, less randomness. We need something powerful, an endless source of games that will truly bring our creation here to life. Look at it, almost fully formed. Games. Unappreciated, yet here stitched together like a work of art, upon my red-felted gaming table. Gems they are. Precious to me. Most of them, anyways. Barney! Do you have any ideas? Hmm? Stop playing Tonga Bonga and try to be helpful here! But Master, I'm having fun. Yes, well you're two-thirds of the way through the game anyway, so it's about to go downhill. Trust me. I've got a pretty interesting idea for a banter session. I've been reading this book, Age of AI and Our Human Future by Daniel P. Hottenlocker. It's about how artificial intelligence could affect our relationship with- That's it? Artificial intelligence. Data. (laughs) Yes, that's it. That's what we need. What is it, doctor? Kinesia! Bless you. What? No, you idiot. More Kinesia is the missing ingredient. The guild will love it. My creation will finally come to life. And it's a never ending source of underappreciated games.
0: Uh, are you sure? But remember Beowulf?
1: Beowulf was a fluke. The exception, not the rule. Ah, Rhino Kinesia. Now there's a real doctor. What? Shut up and go fetch the most underappreciated Kinesia games you can find. I'd say nothing rated higher than 3,000 on BGG.
2: Tigris and Euphrates. No. Quest for El Dorado. Andre. No, no, no. Too well known. Aha, here we go. Found a few that should work, but there are a bunch more in there if you don't like these, Doctor. Here, Frank,
1: take these to the game table. Mm. Cram, what are you doing with your head under the table?
0: Oh wow, I had no idea your dad used true mortise and tenon joinery to attach the legs to this table.
1: Focus, Cram. Frank is more helpful than you are. Mm.
0: Uh, Yes, Doctor. Sorry, Doctor.
1: There. That should do it. Yanch! Get ready to record. I just need to tweak the microphone placement. Hold on, Doctor.
2: I need more time. The internet connection is so terrible in here.
0: That gives me time to practice my flavor text. (coughs) The legend of the great hero, Beowulf, originates in one of the oldest of English literature. Ready, Doctor. Record.
1: yes, yes. it is working it's alive it's perfect i can't wait to discuss these games on discord evil league of evil your new primary contributor is here legitimacy is mine at last
0: <laughs> ah. <laughs> Mwah <laughs> <laughs> Hidden Gems, episode forty two Halloween Spectacular Twenty Twenty Two Welcome to
3: Hidden Gems. Board game podcast where we review unusual, forgotten, and underappreciated board games. We're your hosts. My name is Chris. I'm Jason,
0: and I'm Cameron. Thanks for listening to our show.
3: <laughs> well done, sir. Well right. done on the intro. It's my
0: first time doing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we I... haven't
2: heard Mad Scientist Cameron before.
3: <laughs> so this is a just get it's a new up. side of you. Oh, uh, I loved it. You were totally into it. You had the hands curled up and lifted towards the sky. Yeah,
0: that's thing. people think that we just sit still behind these microphones, and you've got to <laughs> use your hand gestures to really feel the character, you know? you got to
3: get into it. These holiday-themed episodes are so much fun. The skit, again, was just a lot of fun to do this year. It was super fun. Credit to Cameron for writing this year's script yeah. I did last year's. Yeah cameron did this year, so you know what that means jason i know i well, know. had
0: a lot of inspiration you guys both wrote some pretty great ideas and i just mushed them together a little bit this is a lot of fun i'm
2: just the sound effects guy i mean
0: <laughs> i don't
3: know about that i feel like we had our voices pretty decent you guys you guys in. have
0: come a long way since we started this out and you're like oh no no, i'm never doing a voice Jason's like, you guys do all the voices when you play DD. i'm not doing that <laughs>
2: I just can't stay consistent. That's the problem. I try to do a voice and it comes out one accent the first time and another a completely different accent the second time because I just can't internalize the sound. You have this uncanny ability of just being able to pull out a voice that yeah. you've done a million times. I can't do that.
3: Well, for those of us that aren't Cameron, I think Bill has actually figured it out because he has a hard time with that, admittedly. Yeah, but- yeah. When Bill was doing his voice for the skit, he had the YouTube. Igor from Young Frankenstein. Young Frankenstein. And before every line, he would play it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, what was the line that he kept rehearsing?
3: Just had to hear Igor saying it over and over again. My My grandfather grandfather
2: used to work (laughs) for your grandfather.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, it's good fun. Bill did a great job, too. Yep.
2: Anyone who's not seen that movie, you should check it out.
3: It's pretty funny. It's It's old. classic. Classic. All right. A little banter time, yeah? Cameron, why don't you kick us off? Sure. What you been up to? You got anything spooky to talk about or is it just normal banter?
0: Well, I mean, as far as spooky goes, my thing that I was going to share is only spooky scary in the sense that in 2022, it's terrifying to try to go through life without your phone. <laughs> and I lost my phone two days ago <laughs> yeah, in the ocean. <laughs> so I, w- I had the chance to go fishing with my brother on his boat and we're out and we're having a great time fishing. And he gets my attention. We've got lines in the water and everything. He's like, Cameron, there's dolphins swimming up beside our boat. And then sure enough, they were 20, 25 feet away, something like mm-hmm. that right there. And so naturally, because we're modern people, we both whip out our phones and I've got my fishing line still in the water and I'm distracted. I'm holding it up and I'm taking a video of these dolphins. And suddenly my line just like starts oh, yeah. running like I've got a big fish on and so I just freak out, and I partially put my phone back yep. in my vest pocket. So in the process of trying to resolve my fish situation, bloop! My phone just falls right out of my <laughs> pocket and goes in the water. The horror! Yeah, ah. yeah. <laughs> and you start the scariest going, thing imaginable. You start going through, and you're like, "How do I get it back? Do I jump in?" And we're not in that deep of water, but. When you're moving around in a boat and you're on the coast and the water's grayish brown, you're not going to find your phone. No, you're, you're not like, going to find it. You're probably 15, 20 yards from wherever it fell in. Oh, yeah. I have experienced this. We started taking clothes off and we're like, what are we doing? We're never going to find this phone. <laughs> did you try, try to find, find my iPhone app? <laughs> I actually did. I actually did try to do that this morning and it was already offline. So clearly the water killed it or oh, the yeah. battery ran out. I don't. They're supposedly somewhat water resistant. It was only in like five feet of water. Yeah. B-
3: about 12 years ago, we were on a dock right on the shore, mm-hmm. and Talia's wedding band
0: oh, no. fell
3: off of her hand
0: oh, somehow. I don't yeah. even know
3: how that happens. But it was like one of those slow motion moments where it like Roll. bounced on the dock a couple of times, rolling, Dink. Dink. and then it fell directly between two boards into the water. The I board. saw exactly where it went through. I immediately yeah. took my shirt off and dove in under the dock. I dove for that ring for two hours. Oh my god! And did not find it.
0: That's awful. There's
3: something about how the currents move Mm -hmm. on the bottom of the floor. It just—it was probably ten feet away by the time I had been diving that long, but I could
0: not get it. It's
2: like the scene in Lord of the Rings where the ring falls off Isildur's (laughs) hand and it's like
0: (laughs) bouncing through the water. Yeah, it was dramatic. So yeah, so I lost my phone. Other than that, I had. Probably the best weekend fishing that I've ever had, and it was great. I got to spend time with my brother and my dad, and uh, now I'm rocking my wife's old <laughs> iPhone 5S, yeah. maybe? I
3: guessed 7, and I gave you too much credit. It's, <laughs> this thing looks like a credit card. It's so small.
0: It's smaller than my wallet, which is weird. <laughs> the keyboard, I don't even know how we typed on these back in the day.
2: What is that saying about our technology usage? That I don't know. Generally, things are supposed to be getting smaller, and yeah. yet our phones are getting bigger. The the home button
0: on this thing, if you guys remember the home button, there's no facial recognition on this thing, but the home button doesn't work. So I have to use the accessibility This is is horrific.
3: I don't think the fans can take this. (laughs) This is too much. Too much uh, for a Halloween episode.
2: Should we start a GoFundMe for you? I've got a phone (laughs) on order. We're going to get so many more Patreon subscribers (laughs) now just to help Cameron with his technological
0: issues. (laughs) So that was my terrifying news. Jason, you got anything?
2: I do. It's not in the scary side of things. Well, nice. may, maybe a little bit,
3: but <laughs> okay, uh, we'll make it scary.
2: I feel like I have to talk about my trip. Mm-hmm. I missed out on the last episode. I was telling the guys there's something cool about being able to listen to one of our episodes that I had nothing to do with <laughs> and just be able to <laughs> enjoy it as a fan. Right. Yeah. So that was fun. Every other week, man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But I wasn't on the last episode because we were on another national park adventure, this time to South Dakota and North Dakota. We went to Theodore Roosevelt National Park, the Badlands and Wind Cave amongst Mount Rushmore and a couple of the other things that are out there in the Black Hills. Just absolutely beautiful part of the country. Yeah. It was such a cool trip. And as usual, I've found this is the second trip that has happened now. The park that I thought was going to be the least cool ended up being the best one of the three. That's how it always happens, yeah. Theodore Roosevelt National Park, I feel like no one talks about it. It's a hidden gem for sure. Ooh. It fits right in the vein of our (laughs) podcast (laughs) But I feel like no I love one, it. nobody talks about this national park. Most people, if you mentioned it to him, probably wouldn't even know it was a national park. But it's where Theodore Roosevelt lived for many years of his life before he became president. He credits living there and roughing it in that land as a formational moment in his life. Just absolutely beautiful area. Think the Badlands, if you've ever seen pictures of the Badlands with the striped buttes and stuff, but with trees and bison prairie land all over the place. That's and so,
0: awesome. I'd love to get out into that part of the country.
2: Me too. It was a cool trip. We encountered some bison here and there, which are actually pretty scary. Honestly. Oh, man. Okay. I was waiting for okay. the scary moment. Yeah. These, these things, they're the most. These are
3: killer bison? Well,
2: kind of. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to. yeah, <laughs> they, they, they can be them. pretty aggressive. They run up to like 45 miles an hour. Oh, my gosh. And they're huge. Back in June, I think it was, some woman in Custer State Park, which is one of the parks in the Black Hills that we went to, was gored by a bison. Oh my gosh. Paralyzed. Gosh. And then the president of the Mexican Wildlife Game Board was hunting buffalo Mm -hmm. like a month ago and was killed by one. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. He shot it and then it charged him and killed him. So yeah, Yeah. they're not safe animals. More people are injured by bison than they are by bears in the national parks. People are afraid of grizzly bears and stuff. More people are injured by bison but i think it's because people are just dumb they're out there trying to get the instagram
3: close yeah
2: get the instagram photo right from what
0: i hear the zoom on the new iphone is (laughs) if you have
2: cameron's phone you're in danger (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) i'm not gonna take any bison photos with this guy
2: yeah but no all in all the trip was awesome really cool part of the country
3: so amazing. highly recommend That's all i got you want to ask me what i've been doing not really. Not really. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what have you been up to, Chris? So for me, tried to stay on point here. Although these stories did turn out to be quite horrific.
0: <laughs> one of these days, we are going to come prepared to be <laughs> on
3: theme. It was great. I did read a few graphic novels okay. that I wanted to talk about. I read several, actually, in anticipation of this episode. I'm only going to talk about one, and that is Gideon Falls. Actually, you gave me this one. I haven't had a chance to read it I did. I was hoping you would have read a little bit of it so that we could talk about it. I had read a few other novels by Junji Ito. Some people that maybe read manga will know who I'm talking about. He's kind of a famous horror Japanese manga author. But I'm not going to talk about those. I'm going to talk about Gideon Falls because, in my opinion, it was the best thing that I read, to be totally honest. So this graphic novel is written by Jeff Lemire, who's also the writer of a graphic novel that I highly recommend called Black Hammer. That graphic novel is about superheroes. But this is very much not about superheroes. This is a horror, mystery, science fiction type of story. Very much in a Halloween-y type vein, in my opinion. So the story of Gideon Falls takes place initially, at least, in a city. And it focuses on a character by the name of Norton, who has an obsession with collecting trash. Hmm. So Norton rummages through trash piles, basically all throughout the city, dumpsters, and he's looking for something. Something very specific. And when he sees it, he knows it's what he's looking for. But it looks like little shards of wood and metal, basically. Mm. And he's cataloging these things in his apartment. So he has jars that are labeled and have all these little wood fragments in them that he's Mm. collecting. And so, of course, everybody thinks he's crazy. And he sees a psychiatrist, Dr. Shu, who tries to get him over this obsession, basically. That's all I'll talk about with Norton for now. Just... Suffice it to say, Dr. Shu kind of gets pulled into the story and his obsession, trying to discover why he's doing this, basically. But running parallel to this story, interestingly, there's another character, another main character, Father Fred, who is a Catholic priest who has been sent to the town of Gideon Falls to take the place of another father who has mysteriously disappeared. Father Fred and Norton don't appear to be connected, at least initially, because they're in two different places. But as the story goes on, they seem to be linked by this thing known as the Black Barn. So there's a structure that will just mysteriously appear to some people in visions called the Black Barn. And there's an inhabitant of the Black Barn called the Smiling Man. This is where the horror element comes in. It's
0: already starting to sound terrifying.
3: Yeah. And so that's all I'll really say about it, I think. But I think the fun of the story is figuring out what is the Black Barn? Mm. Is it even a thing? What does it do? And then even taking it a step further, what is Gideon Falls? And that maybe is even a more interesting question.
2: We had a long conversation about what is Harrow County? Exactly. In our, in our so, yeah, we talked year.
3: about Harrow County last mm-hmm. year, and this mm-hmm. is similar, right? What is Gideon Falls? Where is Gideon Falls? When is Gideon Falls? Who is getting Who is, uh, <laughs> why is? Why? Why? Getting- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Interesting questions. I thoroughly enjoyed this book. The second deluxe edition is coming out in a couple of weeks, and as soon as it does, I'm going to pick it up because it's a great read. The only thing about it that I wasn't crazy about is the art style is a little, I wouldn't say it's bad. It just takes a little getting used to. seems mm-hmm. a little
2: dark and dreary it, throughout. It, it
3: is. It's very muted, and it has kind of this vague realism that's kind of. You know, a lot of graphic novels are very bright and vibrant. Hmm. And this one is more, like I said, muted. And in a lot of ways, it almost feels like you're reading a television show. Hmm. And the reason I got over the art pretty quickly is it feels like that. You get sucked in. And actually, this is being adapted into a TV series. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's
0: like elaborate storyboarding kind of. Exactly. Wow. Very much that way.
3: Yeah. I'm excited to see what they can do with it. I will say if they can translate about 10 pages in the graphic novel well into a tv medium it will be good but there'll be some tricky parts okay without a doubt to Mm -hmm. translate well
0: what do you mean in the graphic novel (sighs) that english is rough or something no no
3: not language translation like vision i guess what jeff lemire is trying to portray to the reader may not translate as well to an actual video medium as it does to drawn okay because it gets kind of crazy. And that's all I'll say about it. Okay. But uh, hopefully I haven't Jason enough to yeah, read no, it. Yeah, I'm excited to read it now. It's really cool. Gideon Falls, you can pick it up on Amazon. It's a great read. Sweet.
2: So how many volumes is it intended to be? Two. Just two. Okay. Yep.
3: Yeah, the second release will be the finish. Nice. Yeah, it's good.
0: All right. Well, Chris, what is this black yeah. concoction that we're drinking tonight?
3: This is a cool drink, people. If you want to impress your friends... Got a really easy way to do it. So the one I did tonight is called The Black Widow. And as Jason mentioned, this drink is completely black. It looks like.
2: As Cameron mentioned. Ink.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah. As (laughs) As Cameron mentioned. As I said, Jason. Did I not? Are
0: you you trolling us right now? (laughs) uh, I think
3: Jason is trolling me right now. No, you said as Jason mentioned. Oh, as Cameron mentioned. (laughs) Sorry. You're like,
0: yeah, that's what I said, as
3: Cameron mentioned. I'm 40, people. Give me a break. That's <laughs> horrific. All right, so this is the Black Widow. All sorts of scary things happen. <laughs> this is two ounces vodka, three ounces creme de cassie, which is, I think that's how you say that, cassis. Cassie? It's red currant liqueur. Oh, okay. Okay? Hmm. One ounce Kahlua, and the key ingredient, half a teaspoon of activated charcoal.
0: Wow. Oh.
3: Food grade. Yeah. Totally safe. You can get it on Amazon, it will turn your drink completely
0: black. Wow, okay. so that's why it looks so great for the digestion. And it's great for your
3: Is it health. turning my
2: mouth completely black now? <laughs>
3: Apparently it does not affect your teeth in any way. Great. Hmm. Okay, so you can feel safe about that. Once you've shaken that and strained, you will top that with one ounce of ginger beer and garnish with some blackberries, which is a must in my opinion. It's delicious. And that's a black widow.
2: Yeah. Kalua is interesting. Yeah. I was wondering what the darker flavor in there was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: All right, so as we're beginning to wrap up our banter session here, I just couldn't stop. You know me, guys. We can't be done here. So last Halloween, we talked about Halloween traditions and things we enjoyed doing during Halloween, and I really enjoyed that, but obviously we can't talk about that again. Sure. If you want to hear that, listen to last year's Halloween episode. So I got to thinking, well, what else can I do? So I decided to put Jason and Cameron on the spot, and I wrote up a little Halloween trivia. It's always a dangerous idea. (laughs) Halloween trivia time with Chris. So I encourage you as the listener to play along. See if you can beat Jason and Cameron. I will be keeping score. I've right. thought some rudimentary rules up in my head. Okay. Okay. So one point per right answer minus one point per wrong answer. Ooh. Mm. Be sure. Like the SATs. <laughs> right. There are a couple of I answers. Choose that I have. not to answer. Is <laughs> you, better. You, you, you cannot choose not to answer. Okay. You either know or you don't. Well, no, you can choose not to answer. I take that back. I take that back. All right. There are a couple of answers that are multiple choice, but most of them are either you know it or you don't. Okay. I tried to be very fair here. I don't consider many of these to be very difficult.
0: Cool. If it's not multiple choice. Yes, Jason. Were you going to say
2: something? No, I was just laughing that you said they're not very difficult. Because <laughs> I'm just going to feel like an idiot when this, I don't know This is that. how I make are you some feel of bad.
0: short answer? Is there an essay? If there's an essay. I give half points. <laughs> okay. All right. So
3: if you think you know the answer to a non-multiple choice, you say answer. Whichever one of you says it first so like is allowed. In. That's like buzzing okay. in. This could totally be a disaster in podcast I can't, I can't so wait. All right, you ready? Yep. Cue the music.
0: Hey. Don't disappoint Dylan St. Clair right now. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> All right.
3: Question number one. This is multiple choice. I do you have time to think about it? Everyone knows that Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the most popular Halloween candy. According to a study performed by CandyStore.com, but what is the second most popular Halloween candy? M&Ms, Skittles, Snickers, or Sour Patch Kids? I would say Snickers. Okay.
0: I was gonna go with Snickers. You both say Snickers. Yeah.
2: You're both wrong. It's Great. Skittles. Ah. Uh, huh. Snickers S- are just everywhere. I'm not even yeah, saying it's like the best candy, thinking. but they're in every bag of Halloween
3: candy. Well, but then it maybe
0: maybe Sour. Skittles? Skittles.
3: All right, that's minus one for each of you. (laughs) Okay, great. All right, this is not multiple choice. Are you ready? Yeah. In the movie E.T., The Extraterrestrial, what does Elliot dress up as for Halloween? Yes. Ghost. That is correct. I knew that one. I knew I I had to I don't even like that movie. Question number three. You're ready. According to legend, who will appear to you if you chant their name in a dimly lit room in front of a mirror?
0: Bloody Mary.
3: That is correct. Man.
2: Making me look bad here, Cameron.
3: <laughs> Question number four. This one's a little bit trickier. The mask used in the movie Halloween is actually a depiction of a famous TV actor. Who is it? Mm. Answer Gary Busey.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> That's actually, I'm not gonna penalize you because that was such a good guess. Uh, <laughs> You already have minus one, but it's not Gary Busey. Do you
0: care to answer? I'm not going to answer.
3: The answer is William Shatner. Hmm.
0: What? So
3: Halloween, the first Halloween was a very low budget movie.
0: Yeah.
3: And so when they did the costume for Michael Myers, they actually bought a William Shatner mask and spray painted it white. And I guess changed the hair on it. So it is actually a depiction of William Shatner. I was
2: going to say, isn't the hair like reddish?
3: It is. I guess they changed that.
0: You said the mask?
3: The mask. It's William Shatner's face. Like,
0: really? Yes. That is hilarious. That is 100% the true. The mask, like Jim Carrey, the mask.
3: No no no. no, no, no. The mask that Michael Myers wears in oh. Halloween.
0: Oh, yeah. See, I'm glad I didn't answer because I definitely thought that you were talking about the mask.
3: No, the mask <laughs> used in the movie Halloween. Oh, gotcha. You got to listen to the questions, Tim yeah, yeah, Cameron. This is test taking strategy.
0: Okay, so I'm still up.
3: <laughs> All right, you ready for the next one? Number five. This is multiple choice. Take your time. Okay. What is the most commercially successful horror movie of all time? Poltergeist, The Exorcist, Halloween, or It?
0: The Exorcist. Okay. Hmm. I'm going to go with Halloween. We're both wrong. It's It. Wow. I think
3: because of the recent releases.
2: Well, yeah, I was going to say, is this scaled by, like, I don't even
0: know what I'm trying oh to say. Oh my like, gosh. What metric is he using? E- even in a trivia game, uh, Jason's no, no, no. looking for flaws here. I don't you know, know. If how it's
2: to, like total cash value, like well, that obviously that's going to be higher for like a most new su- release most because
0: successful.
3: most commercially successful. He said commercially. Quit successful. being a baby, Jason. Right. It has money. to be
2: scaled by the time period, right? <laughs> Exorcist was released in what, like the 60s You're or 70s? You're both
3: wrong. The answer is it. All right, ready. Yep. This is not multiple. Okay. Finish the outro lyrics. Darkness falls across the land. The midnight hour is close at hand. Creatures crawl in search of blood. Blank.
0: Oh. No, I'm doubting myself.
3: Oh, come on! Uh, People are dying right now. You want me to read it again? Yeah. No. <laughs> Darkness falls across the land. I'm gonna I'll try to read it the way it sounds. Darkness falls across the land. The midnight hour is close at hand. Creatures crawl, Search Blood Blank
0: I know what it's from but I don't I know know what it's from too but I'm terrible at this kind of thing. Can we make it a competition of where it's from? (laughs) No but where is it from? Thriller. It is from
3: Thriller. It's to terrorize y'all's neighborhood.
0: Oh yep. There you
2: go Mm. Alright. I'm horrible at listening to lyrics of songs (laughs) I I
0: knew I recognized that that, but I was like I don't know the rest of those words
3: Alright question 7 This is multiple choice. One particular American serial killer inspired the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Psycho, and Silence of the Lambs. Was it Ed Gein, Ted Bundy, John Gacy, or Robert Yates?
0: Hmm.
2: I don't think it's B or C. I'm going to go with D. Robert Yates?
0: But it could be A. (laughs) I'm going to go with A.
3: Ed Gein? Yeah. The answer is Ed Gein. Yes. Dang it. I did know this because there's actually a graphic novel called Did You Hear What Eddie Gein Done, oh. which is actually about him and the horrific things that he did. Jason, you're minus three. Yeah. Time to make a comeback.
1: <laughs>
3: it's not happening. <laughs> All right. Question number eight. According to the song Monster Mash, which monsters are
0: invited to the Halloween party? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Phil's screaming at us right now, <laughs> probably singing all the lyrics. Bass. bass, bass. This is fun for the listener. Yeah. I'm sure they're all good. The Wolfman,
3: Dracula, and his son.
2: I have to stop asking song lyric questions. I'm <laughs> That's ter- only the
3: second I'm one. terrible at song lyrics. All right, we only got three left. Hang in there. The
0: only part of that song that I know is, they do the Mash, they
3: do the monster, monster. Hey, You don't remember it. Dracula and his
0: son. You do remember that part. Oh, my no. goodness. Oh, I remember okay. that part.
3: All right. I think this is number nine. What is the name of the camp where Jason Voorhees drowns in the Friday the 13th movies? Y'all are embarrassing me right now. Do you know it or not? Absolutely (laughs) not. Camp Crystal Lake. Yep. I thought this would be easy. All right. Second to last one. What are the two colors found in Freddy Krueger's sweater? No?
2: Dude, not all of us grew up watching <laughs> horror movies, horror <laughs> horror movies at like
0: <laughs> six USA. years old.
3: Okay, it's red and green.
0: Oh, I almost said red and green. Did you like, really? I don't want to risk my lead here. He <laughs> you can't if catch Jason, you. If Jason's not guessing, I don't want to risk You just go for
3: lead. it. All right, this is the last question. I'm feeling confident when you're going to know this. I feel confident. Okay.
2: I think your expectations are too high.
3: You've got this. In the movie Gremlins, regarding the Mogwai, you are supposed to keep them out of direct light. You can't let them get wet. And you can't what?
2: What's a mogwai?
3: <laughs> it's Gizmo. <laughs> you know, the little furry guy.
2: Of all the horror movies that you've mentioned, I've seen none of them.
3: <laughs> you've never seen gremlins? No. We're the same age.
2: I know. Like I said, I didn't grow up watching you, you horror movies. You grew up
3: in puritanical there. Pennsylvania. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen it either. Oh, wow. Okay. You don't feed them after midnight.
0: Oh, yeah. I do recognize that, but yeah, it would not have come to mind.
3: It's a good thing Bill wasn't here.
0: He, yeah. He would have thumped us. Yeah.
2: we <laughs> need to just leave that whole section out.
0: No maybe. way. I had some good answers. You did.
3: So Cameron scored one point. Listener, see if you can beat Cameron. Jason had minus three. See if you can beat Jason.
0: <laughs> Should be pretty easy, apparently. <laughs>
3: All right. All right. Well, that was fun for me, Jason Cameron. Sorry if that was torturous for you. But it's all good. Hey, man, the listeners get to play along too.
0: That's right.
3: Chime in in the guild. Let us know how many you got right. I would like to see if anybody knew all of
0: those answers. Yeah. Or chime in on Discord. Or Discord. Feel free yes. to yeah. just give us a good lashing. We're all free on there. Totally forgot. We're having so a great time over on Discord. Revender
3: will definitely do an episode post for this episode. So let us know what your score was. I think this is doable. I think somebody could get all these.
0: Yeah. All right. Do you guys want to review some Halloween games?
3: I'm ready. Let's do it. Yeah, man. Let's go.
0: All right. Now, be careful. That line of rock salt is the only thing keeping them out. The man said, welcoming my group into his refuge. Cecil, I clarified. Sea salt keeps us out.
3: I begin tucking him into bed and he tells me, Daddy, check for monsters under my bed. I look underneath for his amusement and see him, another him under the bed, staring back at me, quivering and whispering,
1: Daddy, there's somebody on my bed.
0: It's Hugo the Ghost's birthday when the lords of the castle traditionally honor him with a weekend costume party. Hugo loves a good game of hide and seek, so all the guests must agree to play with him each night at midnight. Those who are caught receive penalty points, which are tallied after 3 rounds of play.
3: Oh no, penalty point.
0: <laughs> the horror. <laughs>
3: Hugo. <laughs> All right. Midnight Party, also known as Escape from the Hidden Castle, published in 1989. Here we go. Seven years old by Ravensburger and Amigo. At the time of this recording, its BGG ranking is 3,371. Designer Wolfgang Kramer. All right. Interesting. But you didn't see that coming, did you? Nope. <laughs> I heard about this game from a BGG Guild member, Matt Thompson. This guy is pretty interesting. So he actually has a guild on BGG that's not board game related called Slashing Through Cinema Guild, where he talks about scary movies. And a year ago, I threw out to the guild ideas for Halloween games, and he gave me a ton. Okay. And this was one of them. Okay. So shout out to Matt and then also to Martin who has been a long-time listener and has given us recommendations in the past. Alright, brief rule summary for Midnight Party. Midnight Party is a roll-and-move dice game where the players are trying to avoid their pursuer, Hugo, the ghost, by getting their player pawn safely into rooms. The game board in Midnight Party displays a rectangular track known as the gallery, upon which the players will be moving in a clockwise direction. At different spots along the length of the rectangular track are doors where players can enter rooms to hide from Hugo the Ghost. Speaking of Hugo, he starts each round at the bottom of the stairs, which is a straight track that is around eight spaces long and which hooks into the rectangular gallery track. On a player's turn, they will roll a six-sided die. So I should explain on the six-sided die, two of the faces are ghost faces and the other four display pips, either one, two four or five pips. If the player rolls a face with pips on it, they must move one of their player pieces on the gallery track that many spaces in a clockwise direction. If the player rolls a ghost face, the player does not get to move any of their pieces forward, but instead must move Hugo the ghost forward three spaces. At first, Hugo will be moving up the stairs toward the gallery, but once Hugo is on the gallery, If, during his clockwise movement, his pawn passes through any player pieces, they are captured and placed on the stairs for negative points, with player pieces captured earlier in the round being worth more negative points than pieces captured later in the round. The moment Hugo enters the rectangular gallery is also important because players cannot enter safe rooms until Hugo is actually present on the gallery floor. Once Hugo is on the gallery, A player can then use their movement to move one of their pieces into a room, thereby making that piece safe from capture, as long as no one else is present in the room. It's also important to note that your roll doesn't have to be exact. As long as you roll enough movement points to get to the room, you can enter, again, as long as it's empty. If somebody has beaten you to that room, you cannot go in there. The reason I mention exactness is because there are two rooms connected to the gallery that will actually earn you bonus positive points if you are able to enter them plus three to be exact. But you must roll the exact number of spaces to be able to enter either of those rooms. In addition, I will also mention there are two rooms on the other side of the board that will earn you minus one points if you use them to hide in. You obviously don't have to roll exact to move into those. Once either all player pieces are caught and or safely in rooms, the round will end and players will tally their points for all of their caught pieces and any points associated with rooms. Players do this for three rounds and the player with the best score, which is closest to zero, almost certainly everybody's going to be negative in this game, will win the game. That's generally how you play Midnight Party.
2: Musical chairs with Hugo. (laughs) That's
3: right. So when this game was pitched to me by our guild members, it was mentioned... By them, that this game is meant to be very lighthearted, almost described to me as being like a party game. You know, you're getting around, you're having fun with your friends, maybe having a cocktail or something, kind of a party scene, and you're just having fun moving around the stretch. Did you get that from this game? Did it feel that way to you? Do you feel like it captured that? How'd you feel about it?
0: Yeah, I would say the main thing that this game captures is that lighthearted feel of where you're just sort of laughing of like, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever happens to your opponents or whatever happens to your own player for that matter. And we found ourselves at different points chanting for the ghost dice roll and things (laughs) like that. For other people to get eaten. Yeah, yeah, I thought it definitely added a a fun element and for the simplicity that the game offers.
2: Yeah, I would say my biggest takeaway from this game was we laughed a lot playing it. Sometimes we laughed somewhat at the expense of the game. Sometimes we were laughing just because of what was going on in the game was funny. So you can take that for what it is. But I mean, we did have fun when we played it. I would question if that's what you're looking for. This type of party, happy, casual type of game. Mm-hmm. Is this the best one out there? I don't know, but we can get more into that later. I guess. Sure.
3: Yeah, I agree with you guys. It definitely does feel lighthearted. I mean, it's roll and move. Mm -hmm. For crying out loud. You're rolling a dice and you're moving pieces, right? But there are some pretty hilarious moments that happen, specifically surrounding Hugo. Just how the dice come out. Sometimes he won't move for a while, and then he'll move really far, really fast. Yeah, And stuff that you otherwise thought was safe, or other people thought were safe, are very much in jeopardy.
0: Yeah, he can round three corners. (laughs) In the blink of an eye. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Again, it's 33% chance. Not a ton, but it can happen. Again, I guess it depends on what you find to be funny. But I will say, I thought we did laugh a lot. And I will point out, too, in my copy, at least, the Ravensburger copy, they did such a great job of designing that ghost to where he lands on people and he, like, envelops them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's just fun to do that. Yeah. To just swallow people up with Hugo as he's moving around. I enjoyed that part of it. So, that being said, we have to talk about mechanisms, (laughs) right? Yeah. We're, We're game reviewers, right? How did you feel about the mechanism here? It's roll and move. Did you feel like there was anything interesting going on here? Interesting. Was there decision points, I guess? Mm. Yes. Jason's dying to get to his cons. <laughs> no,
2: no. I mean, yes and no. I think the biggest decision point is where you're going to start. Right. OK. Yeah, you I didn't can, go into
3: this very much. So, yeah, the, about.
2: the way the ghost comes up the stairs, the way Hugo comes up the stairs. There you go. I need to formally address him. He comes up the stairs closest to the two rooms that score the extra three points. And so you can try to risk it and start close to the top of the stairs and hope that you can jump into one of those rooms as soon as he gets to the top of the steps. Because I don't know if you mentioned it or not, but you can't jump into a room until Hugo has reached the top. Of the I stage. did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it is basically musical chairs. Right. Hugo getting to the top of the stairs is the music cutting off. And yes. then everybody tries to jump into a room as fast as possible. Right. <laughs> and so you can hang out near the top of the stairs where he's going to be and hope to jump into one of those special rooms. Or you can start on the opposite side of the board and try to be as far away from him as possible. Sometimes that doesn't even work. Right, because
3: (laughs) you might be forced to move in front of him. Right. right.
2: So there are decisions there. I'm not going to beat around the bush and say that they're especially deep decisions.
3: Mind-blowing layers of depth here. Yeah.
2: You can jump into a room. You can try to choose which room you're going to jump into to most negatively affect your opponents, I suppose. But I found that in most of our rounds, most people were getting eaten. Like there, there wasn't time to jump <laughs> into the rooms. So if you got one of your people
3: into a room, it was like, oh, great. Uh, like, I mean, there are definitely rounds where everybody got everybody in. It can happen. So, yeah, yeah.
0: I think even <laughs> if not the decision points would be around the subject of like, how do I last longer than everybody else on yes. the map, right? Because right. the scale of negative points decreases as... Right you are captured later on in the round, right? Starts
3: at minus 10 and then incrementally works towards zero. Right. right. So
0: if you can somehow manage, instead of getting one of your dudes out very early on, even if your dudes don't all make it, the guys that don't make it are at the top of the stairs. Well, then your negative penalty points (laughs) are going to be fewer than if you had gotten out super early. Yeah. There's things to think about if you care about winning this game. Yeah, no, I guess. Yeah.
3: I definitely agree with you. I did think there was a decision point here for sure. And it kind of goes along with what you were saying, Cameron, is almost inevitably you're going to have at least one of your people that's kind of like a straggler or a lagger, right? right, Who's more in jeopardy. And you'll have one or two people that are more towards the front. So you come to a decision point. Do I try to get that straggler away from Hugo and try to get him into a room? And I still might not be able to because Hugo might run me down. Or do I just say, you know, I'm just going to let him go and try to get the people who are in the front of the line into rooms. But the thing is, those people in the front line, they're not really in danger, right? Yeah. So you're like, well, what do I do? But if you try to bring your straggler along, he might still get caught, and then the people in front might get caught. Because as I mentioned the rules, when people jump in rooms, you cannot go in there anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So if you wait too long, all the rooms might be occupied. And now you're trying to save your straggler, and you might lose everybody. Yeah. That doesn't always happen, but it could happen. And so you're trying to decide, you know, do I just kind of let that guy go? Do I try to save him or do I try to jump in room? Up and, I, front? and
0: I think that's an interesting thing. I mean, for all the things that we could obviously pick on this game about, if you're going to have a roll and move, forcing you to divide your efforts between not just one piece or two pieces, but three and you're having to make that decision. Right, I've got one roll. Which one of these pieces does this two serve best, for right. example?
3: Yeah. Okay. You ready for cons, Jason? Sure. <laughs>
0: I mean, I don't have
2: as many as I think you think sure. I do, but.
0: What did y'all
3: not like about the game?
2: I mean, I think the biggest thing that stands out to me, and I like we all felt this, was if you roll a ghost, you don't get to move anyone. Yeah, this that, is the biggest that's problem. A, that's a huge problem, right? You have a 33% chance of being able to do nothing to better your position on your turn. <laughs> and when you're playing. Getting run down. And when you're playing, yeah, when you're playing with, what's the max player count on this? Eight players? <laughs> Man, I just looked at the box. Holy moly. All right. If you were playing with eight players, that means Hugo the Ghost could potentially move 24 spaces, which is probably the entire way around the board by the time it gets back to you, right? And You roll the die and you don't get to move at all. I understand what this game is trying to be, right? But any game where you can't do anything to help yourself agree. and in fact hurt yourself by rolling something that's a 33% chance, I mean, it takes our conversation about decision points yeah, down a good bit
3: they should have retooled that die to at least if you rolled the ghost face you can at least move one because there were times I was standing in front of the door to move in and I rolled the ghost and killed myself Right. I think for me the plus and minus point rooms were a really good idea mm. I think I would have made them a little bit more valuable mm.
0: specifically yeah.
3: the plus point rooms being worth more positive points and the minus rooms being worth more minus points actually mm. Because I felt like the minus one rooms were kind of like a non decision. It's like, oh, well, I lose a point, but I'm safe. Better than taking minus eight. Yeah, get a minus eight or minus 10 or whatever. Right. Whereas the plus point rooms, three points is just not really enough to overcome the massive negative scores that you're going to get in this game. But I think if they were worth like plus five or plus six, people would push their luck a little bit more about trying to get in there.
0: Yeah. Whereas
3: I just felt like we were all just trying to get in rooms. And if I get in the plus three or the minus one, okay, well, that's fine. But I think if you tweak those points a little bit, it might make that more interesting. Yeah. I think that could have been better.
2: Yeah, fully agree.
3: All right. We want to wrap it up. Yeah. All right, Jason, start. (laughs) Oh,
0: man. All
2: right. You know, we've talked about what this game is meant to be. I think it's meant to be a fun party game, maybe even a drinking game. Mm -hmm. Right. With people who are just out for a goofy time. Right. You're not out to strategize or have any kind of deep gaming experience here. Right. And that's okay. Yeah. In the right scenario. For me though, that's not generally my scene going into a game night. Right. Right. If I'm out to have fun with friends, I'm going to have fun with friends, not around a game part of being married to my wife. Yeah. You know, <laughs> she wouldn't stand for anything like that. Right. And so for me, it doesn't really hit very well. I can see this game being fun in the right scenario. Mm-hmm. Right. And we did, we laughed a lot. when yeah, we played yeah. it. I think playing with this group, I had fun mm-hmm. for what it was. Yeah. Would I want to continue to play this game for years and years <laughs> <laughs> down the line? No. Yeah. And I don't think it would get much mileage in my collection, but for other people, I can see that this was being fun in the right circumstances. So, for me, I'm giving this a three, mm-hmm. but I could see it being right for other people.
3: Cool. Right. Cameron.
0: Yeah, I think this game has its place in very specific circumstances. Like I said, when you're waiting for the rest of the game group to arrive and you just want to play something lighthearted, it doesn't really matter who wins, that sort of thing. I think it's worth trying for the hilarity, but just don't try to take this game serious. I think it might be doing what it intends, but by a typical strategic play to win standards midnight parties lacking and it wouldn't be one that i'd be trying to get to the table even if we were just waiting for that person to arrive right especially if you have other games that are short and fit that filler Mm -hmm. criteria i usually would probably be inclined to put some of those especially because we have such a rich set of options to choose from for those filler type games we do so it's an experience it's not what i would consider a good game i am going to give it a three I don't think it's bad no. entirely, but it just nothing special here. Okay. All
3: right. I'll be brief because I don't think I have a whole lot more to add. Okay. <laughs> to be quite honest, I think we all kind of felt similarly about this game. So as I mentioned, when this was originally pitched to me, it was described as a light-hearted party style game. And I agree with that. I think it accomplishes that. Just like y'all said. I could see this game being the centerpiece of a Halloween themed party. Right. Mm-hmm. If you had people over, costumes, just having fun, you could have this sat out on the dining room table, right? People every to every
0: time the ghost eats somebody, you have to take a drink. Or <laughs> right. Something. Exactly.
3: I could see that. It would work for that. The thing I come back to is how often am I going to have a Halloween party? You know what I mean? Maybe once a year. For me, probably if you're doing never. it more than
0: once per year. I have some questions for right, you. Right.
3: <laughs> it occupies a very, very unique niche that I think just doesn't justify it being on my shelf. I didn't hate my plays of it, but it's roll and move. Yeah. This one feels dated. And so, for all those reasons, I would say also I just give it a three. Three out of six. It was just okay. Not great. Not bad. Just
0: bad. All right. Fair. Well, if anyone out there is interested in a game to pick up maybe for their Halloween party. That's
3: right. Their midnight party. Yeah. This is an old one. Is it still around? <laughs> <laughs> uh, not really. So, there are copies available on Noble Knight. To mention our sponsors, Noble Knight Games, but they're a little pricey, specifically the Ravensburger copies, which is the one that I have, because this one is almost kind of like a grail game in a way. A little bit of a collector's item just because of how old it is. Mm. You can get it there if you choose to. Our discount code is 22Gems. You can get 10% off your order there. There are also seven copies on BGG and really the best way to get this if you're trying to find it more affordably would be ebay
0: Mm, there are
3: 17 copies on ebay but yeah you can find it if you want it Cool.
2: alright well those are our thoughts on midnight party working the night shift alone tonight there is a face in the cellar staring at the security camera
0: I can't move breathe speak or hear and it's so dark, all the time. If I knew it would be this lonely, I would have been cremated instead. The Red Death had long devastated the country. No pestilence had ever been so fatal, or so hideous. Blood was its avatar and its seal. The redness and the horror of blood. There were sharp pains and sudden dizziness, and then profuse bleeding at the pore with dissolution. The scarlet stains upon the body, and especially upon the face of the victim, were the pest ban which shut him out of the aid and from the sympathy of his fellow men, and the whole seizure, progress, and termination of the disease were the incidents of half an hour. Ooh. Sounds rough. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Mask of the Red Death. All right. This game was published in 2018, so fairly recent. And this was a Kickstarter. Uh Uh oh. (laughs) (laughs) Published by IDW Games, designed by Adam Weiss, and illustrated by Gris Grimley. So I'm going to talk for a second. So, a couple interesting tidbits. So, Adam Weiss actually was a co designer on the new version of Metropolis. Yeah. Skyrise, yes, he is, but don't really know any of his other published designs outside mm-hmm. of that. So I found that interesting. Also, Gris Grimley, I don't know if you ever heard of him before. No, I hadn't. But his art style is very unique. So he was the illustrator. He has kind of like a Danny Elfman. I know Danny Elfman's a musician, but like, um,
3: you might be thinking Tim Burton.
2: Yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> Edit that out. Um, <laughs> nope. Very Tim Burton art style. Yeah. And it's very unique. But interestingly, Guillermo del Toro is doing a new version of Pinocchio, which has got darker oh, look to it.
0: <laughs> Sounds awful.
2: <laughs> I, I don't think it's Pinocchio
0: like a, is already scary dude, enough, but like Pinocchio Guillermo scared del Toro me when make I was little. Absolutely terrifying. When he me. went
3: to the carnival with the boys and they start turning the donkey and stuff, that scared the That's the Cartoon crap Disney version. I know, yeah.
0: <laughs> I don't want to see what <laughs> Guillermo del Toro would do to it. <laughs>
2: Now, this is based off the trailer only because the movie hasn't been released yet, but I watched the trailer. It's coming out on Netflix within the next month or so. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it doesn't look like it's meant to be super dark, but it definitely has that darker Tim Burton-esque.
3: It's Guillermo del Toro, right? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Chris Grimley, it's inspired by his art. He's like an executive producer for the film, which I found to be interesting. So anyway, I didn't mention the BGG rank. So BGG rank currently is 6,619. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. So obviously, well, maybe not obviously if you're not familiar with Edgar Allan Poe, but the name of this game and the theme of the game is based on a short story by Edgar Allan Poe by the same name. And Cameron actually read the first little bit of the story here as our flavor text. But I thought it would be helpful because this game is so thematic for us to talk through the storyline because the game's not going to make a whole lot of sense without understanding what the story is about. I'm going to give a summarized version. I really wanted to read the whole thing on here, but it would have taken too long. So I'll read little excerpts of it and kind of summarize the story. So Cameron read the intro, which is talking about the Red Death, which is this plague that is going through the country and it's bloody and kills you quickly. I'm just going to read another section here. It says, But the Prince Prospero was happy and dauntless and sagacious when his dominions were half depopulated he summoned to his presence a thousand hale and light-hearted friends from among the knights and dames of his court, and with these retired to the deep seclusion of one of his castellated abbeys. This was an extensive and magnificent structure, the creation of the prince's own eccentric yet august taste. A strong and lofty wall girdled it in. This wall had gates of iron. The courtiers, having entered, brought furnaces and massy hammers and welded the bolts, They resolved to leave means neither of ingress or egress, to the sudden impulses of despair from without, or of frenzy from within. The abbey was amply provisioned, with such precautions the courtiers might bid defiance to contagion. The external world could take care of itself. In the meantime, it was folly to grieve, or to think. The prince had provided all the appliances of pleasure. There were buffoons, there were improvisatory, there were ballet dancers. There were musicians, there were cards, there was beauty, there was wine. All these and security were within. Without was the Red Death. It was towards the close of the fifth or sixth month of his seclusion, and while the pestilence raged most furiously abroad, that the Prince Prospero entertained his thousand friends at a masked ball, the most unusual magnificence. It was a voluptuous scene, that masquerade. This is kind of setting up the scene, right? So this Prince Prospero has decided that he's just going to pull all his best friends into this castle that he owns and he's just going to throw this big party, a big masquerade ball. So he throws this party and it goes into a description of the rooms that he's throwing this party in and how they're all these gaudy colors. And each room has its own themed color and there's these lights that shine through these colored panes of glass and color everything in that room these different colors. But the final room at the very end of the hallway, is bathed in this blood red light and it's completely decorated in black colors and black curtains and everything. And in this room, there's this huge ebony clock that every hour chimes. When the clock chimes, all the musicians stop and all the frivolous partying stops while everybody gets nervous because they recognize that this clock is boding their doom, (laughs) right? And everything stops and everybody gets nervous and looks around nervously at each other. And then the clock stops the musicians start again and everybody goes back to partying like nothing ever happened and this happens a few times until it gets to midnight and at midnight the clock chimes 12 times and so it takes a long time for it to chime and everyone's looking around nervously again and waiting for it to stop so that they can go on partying again when they notice that in the room there's a new costumed party goer who has kind of taken the license for the party costumes too far and is dressed up like a person dying of the Red Death, covered themselves in blood and these rags and nasty stuff. And so Prince Prospero sees this, and he gets angry. And he says, Who dares? He demanded hoarsely of the group that stood around him. Who dares thus to make mockery of our woes? Uncase the varlet that we may know whom we have to hang tomorrow at sunrise from the battlements. And so he confronts this thing that is wandering through the party. So Prince Prospero chases after this person. And it walks through all these different colored rooms and ends up in the black room at the end of the hallway. And he confronts the ghost, basically, and tries to go after it with a knife, and is immediately stricken dead and falls to the ground. And all the other partygoers all this time have been cowering up against the walls and are afraid they don't know what to do. And it says, Then summoning the wild courage of despair, a throng of the revelers at once threw themselves into the black apartment, and seizing the mummer, whose tall figure stood erect and motionless within the shadow of the ebony clock gasped in unutterable horror at finding the grave cerements and corpse-like mask which they handled with so violent a rudeness, untenanted by any tangible form, and now was acknowledged the presence of the Red Death. He had come like a thief in the night, and one by one dropped the revelers in the blood-bedewed halls of their revel, and died each in the despairing posture of his fall, and the life of the ebony clock went out with that of the last of the gay, and the flames of the tripods expired and darkness and decay and the Red Death held illimitable dominion over all. And that's how the story ends. Everyone's dead. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of a summary slash a little bit of dramatic reading. Love it. Of The Mask of the Red Death. And that plays very heavily into what happens in the game here. This is a story by Edgar Allan Poe written in 1842. A lot of people consider it to be like an allegory of man's futile attempts to ignore or avoid death. Uh, how we like pretend that these huge things that are out there just don't exist.
3: It definitely comes through in this game. Yeah. That's the whole point, right? Right. Trying to avoid death. Exactly. Which is interesting.
2: So quick rule summary. Players are attempting to gain as much popularity as possible during the party while also collecting valuable information. Very valuable because it might prevent you from dying. (laughs) Valuable information about where the red death will or will not be after midnight in order to avoid being stricken by the horrible plague. The most popular player still alive after the Red Death has wreaked its havoc on the party is the winner. So the game board is in the shape of a circle, and it's divided into seven colored rooms that match the rooms that are described in the story. So these look like pie wedges, basically. Each player has a player piece, a standee that represents their character, that will move from room to room the board's surrounded by a popularity track on which each player's marker will advance to show their level of popularity throughout the game. The game consists of 12 rounds as the clock ticks closer and closer to midnight and the arrival of the Red Death. It's important to talk about what happens at midnight though. So during setup, the path of the Red Death through the halls of the Castellated Abbey will be secretly determined and this is done using a deck of rumor cards. The deck is divided into six piles by time increments of 10 minutes after midnight. So let me explain. The deck has seven cards, one for each of the seven rooms, for the 12 o'clock time slot, the 1210, 1220, 1230, and so on. There are six piles of these cards. Hmm. Two cards from each of those piles are randomly drawn. They're not looked at by any player, and they're placed face down in a corresponding spot next to the board.
1: Death spots.
2: Right. These cards represent the two rooms that the Red Death will visit at that time, killing any player who happens to be standing in that room at the time. Game over. Yep, you're done. (laughs) Fortunately, this is at the very end of the game, and it all happens automatically. The remaining rumor cards that aren't selected are shuffled together to form the rumor deck, which players will be trying to view or grab as many cards from as possible in order to help them plot their safest path after midnight. So now would be a good time to mention that all of this information that's being collected cannot be written down anywhere. It's (laughs) up to players to do their best to remember what they've seen in order to plot out the best path. So when I say plot out the best path, what I mean is that each player also has a board in front of them that's behind a screen where they will construct a program of moves that they will take at each of those time slots. So at 12, 12, 1210, 1220, 1230, before the red death moves and kills, each player has the opportunity to either stay where they are, move one room clockwise, or move one room counterclockwise. Yep. And they will construct this program throughout the game as they gain more information in an attempt to create a path that will keep them safe from being killed by the Red Death at the end of the game. So let's talk real quick about the 12 rounds and what we're trying to do. So each round, players will choose a card from their hand of action cards. Each player's hand is the same at the start of the game. With the exception of one player-specific special ability card that's dealt out randomly. Once all players have chosen an action card face-down, they will all reveal their cards and take their actions in clockwise order from the least popular player. Action cards consist of various party behaviors, so dance, discuss, jest, admire, mock, flirt, threaten, and so on. These cards are combinations of various actions, mainly centering around popularity, advancement, or taking away popularity from another player, taking rumor cards from the common deck to gain more information, and looking at or possibly even stealing rumor cards from other players that happen to be in the same room as you at that time. There are a few other special cards mixed in with the rumor deck that allow players to look at one of the two rooms chosen by the Red Death for a specific time slot. Players are also finally rewarded with a single point of popularity for each round that they manage to begin their movement in the same room as the prince. So the prince will have a figure on the board as well that moves from room to room throughout the rounds. And this path that he moves along is known to all the players and is randomly created at the start. After 12 rounds, players try to plot out their program. Then we execute where the red death goes at each of those times. This all happens automatically and at For those players who have survived the night, the most popular player will win the game. So that is pretty much how you play The Mask of the Red Death.
3: So being popular really does matter. (laughs) Dang it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yep. So we've talked about it all throughout. This game has a pretty defined theme, right? It's based on a short story, and it conforms pretty closely to that. Do you guys think that as you were playing did it feel like you were playing as a party goer at the Mask of the Red Death? Did it feel to you like you were living inside this story or did it not really execute that well? What did you think?
0: Yeah, I think that I would agree. It does conform to the story that was used as the source material. You do feel like you're wandering around the rooms with all these other people and you're angling for popularity and trying to figure out how to manipulate your own situation, either by being in the same room with the prince or taking away other people's popularity and so forth to to try to bump up that chart, basically. Yeah. I'd say for me,
3: it was kind of plus minus, actually. I will say that during the course of the game, as we were moving about the circular path of the tower that we were in and pursuing the prince, I got glimpses of theme. It was kind of there. I wasn't feeling it strongly. Mm -hmm. However, I loved how they handled the end of the game, which you're not even playing at that point. But that
0: for sure build
3: towards Mm -hmm. where you're trying to avoid the red death from capturing you and Mm -hmm. killing you, which is hanging over your head the whole game that came through very strongly. Yeah, I thought and I really enjoyed that part. of it.
2: Yeah, I think that threat of the end game hanging over your head Mm -hmm. the whole time that mirrors the theme to me perfectly yeah i would say the deduction element and the popularity track those things obviously don't exist within the (laughs) game but i I feel like they did a good job of making it not purely a deduction game yeah Yeah. because you're constantly at tension of well i need to be doing the deductions i don't die but i also need to be making sure i'm bumping up the popularity track for me the first game we played i was like forget popularity all these other fools are going to die because they're not going to know what to do. So I'm just going to focus on getting information and I'm going to be the one who
3: survives and then I'm going to win. And you were staying away from us. And I was staying away from everybody. So that we couldn't learn what you knew. Exactly. Because if you're not
2: in the same room as someone, you can't steal their cards. You can't look at their cards, right? Right. So I had all the information and I was hoarding it and just staying by myself. And I had a lot of information by the end of the game. I still died. (laughs) And I was lowest on the popularity track because I didn't focus on that. So even if I had won, if anybody else had won, they would have beaten me, right? Yeah,
3: Yeah. I think it's an interesting point. I feel like you definitely can spend this whole game just focusing on information. Mm -hmm. And I think you probably got a little unlucky with your card draws, too, in that particular game, Jason. But you could just spend the game learning things about how to survive, but it's unlikely you're going to win because almost certainly somebody else is going to make it through, too, because just statistically speaking. It's not likely you're going to survive, but if you learn enough, you can get it to where you have a good chance.
0: Yeah. I had it down to one time slot that I didn't know anything right. about, and I happened to survive because I took the chance to say, well, I don't know anything about that time slot. Time. So you
3: need to take a risk at some point. Right. And at those point, you need to work on popularity, right? And so right. that balancing of when do I take info versus popularity Was fun, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's really kind of like you're pushing your luck, right? Right. How much am I comfortable with knowing and then trying to be ahead of everybody else?
0: Yeah. And I thought it was interesting, too, the way that the cards are built. There's this sort of antagonism built into the cards as well, where they're not all just this is a thing that if I do it, it's good for me. Sometimes it's you took your turn to get a card. I'm going to take my turn to look at your card. Right. Or I'm going to take my turn to take your card or bump you down, right?
3: I have to briefly mention before we get into cons, I liked the memory element of this game. It's- yeah, I,
2: I had suspicions about that going in. And I was like, this could be a disaster. <laughs> <Right>. like, <laughs> this is a lot of information to remember. And if it's just not hitting, people are just going to be lost. Yeah, and It's going to feel kind of pointless. It's, I, yeah, well, it's I almost house ruled it going in. I was like, maybe we should just play where you can write stuff down. I'm I'm glad that we didn't.
0: It's it's important to note that each piece of information, in order for it to be useful, is actually two pieces of information. Right. Because you have to remember a time slot and you have to remember the color of the room that that time slot is associated with. So you have to create this double layered mental map of everything that you know and remember it throughout the entire game. And
3: maybe triple layered. I agree with you because some of the cards tell you which rooms are safe. Oh, true. But some of the cards that you can look at will tell you which is a death room,
0: right? Exactly. which there's
3: another card that's also a death room, so you only know one of two rooms that will kill you. Right. So yep. that may not make you safe, right? And then you could confuse them and be like, okay, I looked at an orange card at 1230. Was that a safe room or was that a death room, right? Yeah. And then you start to get scrambled, right? Mm-hmm.
2: It'd be helpful to maybe explain just so people can wrap their mind around this because you might be thinking if you're listening to this, well, as long as I get one safe room for each time, then I'm good, right? How hard right. can that be? Except the problem is what I mentioned in that you start midnight at wherever your pawn happens to be when that 12th round ends and you can only stay put, move one space clockwise or one space counterclockwise. So you might have a room that's safe for each time slot, but you might not be able to get to that room (laughs) at that time slot based on where you're starting your movement. It might
3: be useless information, right? So you're
2: not just getting a safe room at each time. You're getting a safe room at each time that you can link together through that program of moving one space at a time. And
0: so part of building that path is trying to get enough information. So where you can make a choice based on what you do know to say, where should I start at midnight? And then you have to make sure that on the final rounds leading up to midnight, that you're on the space that you believe you are supposed to start on for your program to work yeah, and if you don't get there, your program's still gonna play out but you <laughs> but you might be walking into death
3: <laughs> yeah, and then once you're there, making sure you put your tokens down in the correct orientation, orientation the right. clockwise yeah. or counterclockwise where you don't step onto a death room right. it's can be hilarious at times I think, mm-hmm. and a little challenging all right. Yeah, cons.
2: I think, yeah, I think we can move on to cons. I, actually, yeah. what you just mentioned, I think, is a perfect transition. All right, go cons, for it. Because you mentioned making sure you put your tokens on there and they're facing the right direction, <laughs> right? That's one aspect of, I think, what's maybe a bigger problem with the overall art. As great as the art design is of this game, I'm not sure it's completely functional in mm-hmm. all cases. Yeah. There are tons of times where they tried to follow the color scheme of the description in the story, right? Right. But the colors of these rooms are very difficult to tell apart. There's like a light blue, a dark blue, and a gray that are like all very close tones. (laughs) Yes. And they fortunately added iconography to it to help colorblind people and just in general because the colors are close. But the icons are so small. (laughs) That it makes them almost useless. And so we did have a lot of moments where people were just kind of like staring at the board of like, okay, or or staring at a card that right, they just drew that is secret the information. The board. Where they're like, Okay, I don't know which room this actually is. Right. Bill and his old man eyes, you know, just couldn't <laughs> tell the difference. Well, and in it's a lot of obviously cases.
0: supposed to be secret information. So you don't want to be like, which one is the one that looks like a hat? <laughs> 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 right.
2: Right. <laughs> So that and the fact that, I mean, this game includes miniatures because it's a Kickstarter. It's not a ton of miniatures, but they're there and they're all neutral colored. And as cool as they look, having seven different miniatures out on the board, I mean, it's nearly impossible to know who's who. And it matters in the game because who you share a room with is who you can peek at cards for or steal cards from or steal popularity from. And so we were always like, OK, who am I in that room with? Who is that guy? Who's that guy? Who's that one? just so you even know what you can do on your turn. And I think some of those usability, quality of life things in this game made it a little difficult to navigate.
3: I think for me, my biggest con was this game, if you look on BGG and you hear people talk about it, it's billed as a memory game, yes, but also a deduction game. I didn't really get a strong deduction bill here. I think there's certainly logic that goes on here, and you're gonna hide a player's cards to try to gather information to try to find a path through this tower so I don't die. But deduction, I didn't really get very strongly. I think the only thing I could come up with is maybe Cameron, you mentioned earlier, maybe somebody at the table knows something about a time that I need to know about, and maybe you figure that out based on the way they're playing. But I don't know, I found that to be very loose. Code of Nine comes to my mind with this game because they're similar, mm-hmm. and that in that game, you also know things that other people don't know and you have ways of figuring out what other people know much like you do in this game Mm -hmm. but in that game the actions that people take can tell you what they know Mm -hmm. whereas in this game nothing anybody does really tells you what they know because what everybody knows executes at the end of the game once everybody's done taking turns right you don't yeah, there's. I don't really get deduction there. You know what I mean?
0: I would say that it's definitely not deduction, but it is memory because you can imagine a scenario. Those are two very which, different things. No, you know? I, I, well, it depends on how I, you define I'm, deduction. Making that distinction, yeah. yeah because, I mean, deduction
2: really just means figuring something out, right? So you can compare deduction to deduction in other games where you're deducing who someone else is. Deducting. I consider deduction deducting? being
3: figuring out something that somebody else knows. Yeah. Right?
2: By the strict definition of the word deduction, though, I ah, guess what I'm saying is like figuring out that time slot thing counts as deduction. You could, you you could imagine
0: a scenario in which in terms of memory, and that's what I'm saying. I think that it is less deduction and more memory. Sure. Because if Jason says, Hey, Chris, could I see a card of yours from the 12 o'clock time slot? And then you show him a card from this 12 o'clock time slot. It's important to me to say, All right, Chris has a card from the 12 o'clock time slot. I need to remember that. Jason didn't take that card from him. Therefore, if I have a chance, should ask Chris for a 12 o'clock time slot card. You're Napping out, who has a time slot that I might need? But that's still not deduction. That's That's, logic and memory. That's memory, yeah. Yeah.
3: Deduction would be based on something that Jason and I did together. You could be like, oh, I know what Uh, that card is. right. There's no way to figure that out. There's no way to
0: figure that out. Right.
2: All right, so you might be right. (laughs) Take out, take out my, take out my con from earlier. I looked up the definition. Chris no longer cuts stuff like
0: that,
3: (laughs) (laughs) which is great. So, (laughs) go ahead, Jason. (laughs) What were you
0: going to say? I
2: was going to say I looked up the definition of deduction. It says the inference of particular instances by reference to a general law or principle. So the general law or principle, I suppose, would have to be what other people are doing. You're deducing particular details
3: from.
0: Well, the general law principles in deduction is always, well, based on this proposition and that proposition, this This must be be true or or this this must be true. Yeah.
3: Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. Okay. All right. That was fun. (laughs) Deduction, everybody.
3: Deduction. Yes. All right. We were to wrap this up.
0: I think my last one is, it's a little long. I felt like it was a little bit long, and I don't think that you could really shorten it because you have to give players time to build up knowledge in order to do the program and not everybody just die every single time, right?
3: Cameron, you want to kick us off with final thoughts?
0: Sure. So I enjoyed how this game played out. I think managing those two responsibilities of gaining popularity and also trying to map out a plan by gathering info were really interesting. And. The card play mechanism to do it was also interesting and provided a good puzzle to think about throughout the game. I definitely want to play it more. I think it does run long, not incredibly longer than other strategic games that we play. I liked the social dynamics in terms of looking at other players' cards and jockeying for popularity and so forth. So I think this is a good game. I want to play it more. I'm Mm -hmm. going to give it a four. And it's one of those where I'm curious, where does it go from there with, Mm -hmm. with more plays? Yeah. So I want to play it more right now. So I'm going to stick with a four like it. So for me, I would say
3: this is an odd and in my opinion, pretty interesting game. As we mentioned, it's billed as a memory and deduction game. I agree with the memory element. As I mentioned in the review, I don't agree with the deduction element. I don't think oh. this is a deduction game. If anything, I think this game should be built as a memory and a press-your-luck game. Because hmm. really, what this <laughs> game really yeah. boils down to, if you want to win, is how much information am I happy with Mm -hmm. to where I think I've given myself a decent shot at surviving and I'm not too far back on the popularity track. If somebody is pegging out the popularity track, they're going to die, (laughs) most likely, right? But if you're not going popularity, you're going to live, but you're going to lose. Mm -hmm. So the game exists somewhere in the middle of how much am I happy with knowing and where have I positioned myself to where if I do make it through, I'm going to win, right? I found that entertaining, Mm -hmm. to be quite honest. However, as we've mentioned, you got to be careful because some players, I think, could find it annoying to play a game as long as this one, Mm -hmm. to not learn everything, try to get in a good position and get zapped in the second round of the execution and be like, ugh, I played all this time and I'm dead now. Yeah. Right? That's warranted. But all that to say, I was entertained by this game and I think it's unique. There's really no game like this game. Right. Honestly. And that alone, I think, makes it worthwhile. So I'm also going to give this game... I think this game is good and I would look forward to playing it.
0: Cool. All
2: right. Well, yeah, I thought that this game accomplished what it was trying to accomplish pretty well. I think it evokes that feeling of dread that that the red death is bringing about at midnight. It's not a perfect game by any means. We mentioned some of the cons around the art styling and usability aspects. And I definitely think that this is the type of game that again, like midnight party is going to require the right group to play. Mm -hmm. For some of the reasons that you described, Chris, right? Of You have to go into it knowing you might spend your whole time getting information and you might die anyway, (laughs) right? (laughs) Right. But if you can laugh about that and enjoy the silliness of it throughout and get into the theme of it a little bit, I think it can work well. The memory aspect might be a turnoff for some, but I enjoyed my plays of it and I would want to continue to play it. It's not a every game night type thing. But because of its uniqueness and just the theme that it brought out, which isn't generally even that important to me, but this one kind of stuck with me. Yeah, I enjoyed it, and I'm also going to give it a four. So,
0: nice fours all the way around. Fours across the board so, for Mask yeah. of the Red Death. 6, <laughs> Six Ranking thousands. on PGG. Yeah, is that justified. Yeah, or I know, know, right? That. Crazy. I know. Yeah,
3: I think it's much better than that.
0: Oddly enough, we made that joke in the script about nothing higher than 3000 on BGG. <laughs> <Yeah>.
3: <laughs>
2: right. Well, it fits that category. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, I did not look up where you can find it. But I'm I sure, did. But I'm sure Chris did. I so, did.
3: So luckily, because this game is so new, 2018, pretty recent for us, several discounted copies available at Noble Knight. So well under MSRP at Noble Knight. So if you want to pick it up there, 22 gems, get 10% more off. You get this game for pretty cheap right now also 16 copies on BDD Marketplace readily available if you want to try it
0: out cool alright well those are our thoughts on Mask of the Red Death
3: when I smiled he did not smile back something is very wrong with this mirror I decided to kill off a few characters in the book I'm writing
2: It should definitely spice up this autobiography a little.
0: (laughs) A hearty welcome to the Copper Kettle Company. The business for quality conscious witches and wizards. Here you can find everything you need to give your magic potions and elixirs their greatest efficacy. <laughs> <laughs>
3: oh yes the witch makes an appearance finally
0: yeah yeah
3: yeah. i love it nice Kupferkessel kessel company also translated copper kettle company mm. or kufra kessel co as you'll see it referred to sometimes published in 2001 by gold sieber spiela at the time of this recording, its BGD ranking is 2,448. Designer of this game is Gunter Burkhart. Mm-hmm. Designer of Potato Man. We love that one. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> but Also, Ulm, Sealand, Darjeeling, and many others. People who listen to this podcast are probably familiar with. I heard about this game from Jay Wowser bgg guild member Mm -hmm. he's made recommendation before he recommended we review this one for halloween so i took him up on it so thanks jay for the recommendation all right (laughs) brief rules summary for coop for kessel co coop for kessel co is a two-player memory game where the players are witches who are window shopping for all sorts of weird witchy ingredients for their cauldrons eyeballs mushrooms etc the game board in coop for kessel co Consists of a randomly generated 6x6 grid of square cards upon which are printed a type of ingredient and a value. There are 14 different types of ingredients, and each ingredient has four cards numbered 1, 2, 3, or 4. The players will be attempting to collect valuable sets of cards while attempting to hinder their opponents from doing the same. The players will be collecting cards by moving their witch pawn around the periphery of the 6x6 grid. So each player controls a pawn. Each space of movement, quote unquote, is you moving that pawn forward into the next row, basically. So if I have a move of three, I move forward three rows. Once a player's witch pawn has ended its movement next to a row, they can then take any card from that row and add it face up to their cauldron, thereby covering any cards that they have collected earlier. And this is where the memory element comes in. So whenever you collect a new card, it goes on top of cards that you have already collected, and you must remember what is under that topmost card. This is also true of your opponent if you're trying to remember what they've been collecting. The top card on your cauldron is also important in that the number value present on the ingredient card that you take will dictate how many spaces you will move forward on your next turn. And this is really cool in my opinion. So if I took the pumpkin with the four on it, I might really want that pumpkin card, but I have to remember that on my next turn, my pawn will move forward four spaces clockwise around the track and end in that row, whether that's where I want to be or not. Mm -hmm. Like in a corner. Like in a corner, right? (laughs) We'll talk about that soon as well. It should be noted that on some of the cards, there are printed one of two additional special actions, the exploding kettle or the magic wand and hat. If you take an ingredient card that also has an exploding kettle on it, your opponent is forced to discard the top card off of their kettle. If you take an ingredient card that has a magic wand and hat, you immediately get to take a second turn. Back to back. Once a player has taken a card, their turn ends, and the empty space is filled with a new card from the ingredient draw pile. The game will immediately end once the draw pile is empty and one of the rows on the board is devoid of ingredient cards. So that's the end of the game. Now, scoring occurs. We'll talk about that really quickly. Players will score points based on how well they did collecting sets of ingredients. If a player collected only one card of a certain type of ingredient, they will lose points equal to the value of that card. If they collected two cards of a certain type of ingredient, that set of cards is worth zero. If they collected three cards of a certain ingredient, they will score points equal to the sum value of those three cards. And if a player manages to get all four of a type of ingredient, they score the sum value of the four cards plus five. It should be noted that two types of ingredients will be tied to a player's color, and those ingredients will score double points for only that player, positive or negative. In addition, the player that collected the most value one ingredient cards will get an extra five points. Most points wins the game. That's generally how you play Kupfer Kessel Co. All right. Okay, so... It's funny, we don't often talk about memory games on the podcast. We got two of them. We got two of them in one episode. The only other game we've really reviewed on here that was memory was Resistor, mm-hmm. And that was Cameron and I way back a long time ago.
0: I think it was episode six.
3: Yeah, it was a while, right? And the reason for that isn't, I guess, necessarily because we're avoiding them. There aren't a lot of memory games. And within the community, memory games tend to generate a lot of negative energy. Mm. I think people think of like, memory used to play as a kid where you're flipping over the two cards and Mm. people are just like, I just don't want to have to remember things. I want to play a game, right? This is a memory game for sure. Mm
0: -hmm.
3: However, there are, in my opinion, some other things that are probably going on here. Did y'all get that as well? Did this come across as just memory or was it memory with something else?
2: I think it's absolutely memory with something else. And in fact, I would lean more heavily into it's something else than the memory. Yeah. Like I think, all right. Yeah. Elaborate. Well, memory is definitely a part of it right cuz you obviously don't want to just be willy-nilly collecting stuff and not remembering what you already collected get a ton you mean, of you negative points <laughs> take a lot of negative points but i don't know i guess when i think memory game and the negative connotations that come with that it's like oh well there's just going to be so much to remember and it's going to negatively impact me all over the place if i can't remember this stuff and while that's true in this game i don't know it's hard to explain i didn't feel like the memory ever really got in the way of the strategy and the yes. other interesting decisions that I had to make throughout the game. Right. Now, if you really struggle with memory stuff, it might be a problem for mm-hmm. you. Right. But it felt like the strategic elements overshadowed the memory by a good bit, even though it still plays a role. Okay. If that makes sense. Okay.
0: Yeah. I would agree that there's definitely a lot more going on than just memory. And I actually think that the memory element of this game is aided by the fact that this is a visual game and it's actually in a lot of ways tied to the classic memory game, right? Just pictures on tiles. Right. So Yeah, that's why I mentioned it. Yeah. So I think interestingly enough, it's almost like you took that game and you made an adult advanced version of yes. it. Because at least for me, what I found happening is once I picked up one type of ingredient, seeing it again would jog my memory that I had picked that up before. And so remembering what I had was not an issue that I was dealing with. Remembering what my opponent had Mm -hmm. was a lot more difficult, right? Because you're tracking two separate buckets of who's taken what and trying to remember what should I take that could be hindering my opponent. Because the other thing is taking negative points is one thing if you're preventing your opponent getting a full set, right? Right. But you they don't... get a
3: plus five on top of that, right?
0: Mm-hmm. So there's a lot, I think, going on there. Not to mention the movement and strategizing, picking mm-hmm. things up. I oh, found yeah. myself planning three moves ahead Yeah. in this game, which was quite fun to figure out. I'm going to go here. I'm going to go there. I'm going to go there. Right.
3: Yeah, I totally agree. I think the memory element of this game, it's just as important, if maybe not more important, to remember what your opponent is doing mm-hmm. as much as it is what you've been collecting. You yeah. have to prevent your opponent from collecting full sets, and especially full sets that are in their color. Yeah. So, if Cameron is playing the black pawn and he's collecting black sets and I let him get all four of those, that's a ton of points. So, you're taking what you need, but you're also hindering your opponent by taking things that they need that's great mm-hmm. i also agree with you maybe even greater and this goes to what jason was saying is maybe there's a component of this game that's more important than memory and i agree with you i think it's that movement component mm-hmm. right yes i take this card and i need it but even more importantly i take this card because maybe i need it and it also puts me where i want to be next turn which lets me take a card that i can take that will let me be where i want to be next turn mm-hmm. yeah, right
2: or maybe i take this card that don't even necessarily want, but it puts me in position on my next turn to get right. what I really right. want. Yeah.
3: Or maybe I take this card that lands me in the corner. So I didn't talk about corners in the rules, so I just mentioned really quickly. The four cards in the corner are null cards or just rounded edges. You can land there. If you land there, you lose a turn and you think, well, that sounds terrible.
0: And you don't pick anything up. And it is because
3: you don't pick anything up. But what's so great about this game is sometimes we were choosing to land in the corners yep. to lose a turn. Because the card we took, we needed it so badly. That's mm-hmm. losing a turn done well. Yeah. It wasn't that we landed there and we're like, oh, this sucks. I chose to go there yeah, because yeah. this card is so great.
2: The other major thing we have to talk about is these special cards. Yes. This was such a small element that I almost overlooked it when you initially taught the rules. I wasn't even fully paying attention to this part. It makes such a huge difference, though, these two little special cards as they come out. So one is a double action. And yep. The other is a blow up the top card. I feel like we have to talk about them each individually. We do. They're both both interesting. Yeah. Right. Blowing up the top card on somebody's deck is fascinating (laughs) because not only do you take a card away from them. Yeah. But up until the very end of the game, that card goes back on the bottom of the deck. So it's going to come out again.
3: And you might want it.
2: And you might want it, or they might still be able to get it. So you're taking this card to blow up something, but they might still get it anyway. Yeah. If you're not paying attention later on in the game. But the thing that got me the most was that. If I get my top card blown up, it changes the number that my pawn moves. Most likely, you
3: jacked up their program. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: because they were planning on moving whatever number was on that card. You blew up that card, so now their next movement is now the number that is on the card beneath that. (laughs) Yeah, and I got destroyed by that
3: so many times.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that could stick you in a corner. Yeah, inadvertently.
3: Yeah, and, and I will say I was worried about that. When I read the rules, I was worried about this action. Because I was like, okay, this is taking what sounds like could be an interesting game, and it's going to introduce a lot of chaoticness.
0: Take that. And take that.
3: But I will say I was pleasantly surprised. Listening to this, us explain it, and reading the rules, you might think, well, you always take that card if you can. You blow up your opponent's card, why wouldn't you?
2: Or you prevent somebody else from doing it. Right. Right.
3: The game dangles such value in front of you in so many different ways. There were many times, all of us, when we played this game together, we're choosing to pass over that blow-up card to take another card in the row again because we felt like we had to, right? Right. And so I like the fact that the blow-up card was not just an auto-take every time, right? Mm -hmm. There were still good options. It was a consideration, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't like, oh, I just have to do that. Yeah, And it's
0: it's definitely not OP, right? Because that card's going to come back out. Your opponent's going to have another chance to pick it up. Yeah, it could be that when it comes back out, you pick it up. Right. But someone's going to have to deal with that card again, maybe. Right. Unless it's at the very end of the card. Correct.
2: Well, we should talk about the double move card too real real briefly, I guess. Right. So obviously this is a tempo changer, right? Because Mm -hmm. the game's going to end when the game ends. But if I get a double turn, I'm getting more cards than you. Right. Right. But like you were saying, Chris, it's not an auto move. You might really want that second move. But if that second move lands you in a corner. Exactly. Or lands you in a row that doesn't really have what you want in it. Right. It's not an obvious
3: take. Right. Because that car that has the double move outcome on it, you may not want. Right. Correct. Right.
0: But if it at least doesn't hurt, maybe you go, okay, well, I haven't been into herbs, but it's a double move. So now I'm into herbs, you know? (laughs) We're in the herb game now. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's so interesting in this game, watching how different types of ingredients start getting picked up because you'll notice, all right, well, I'm taking these ones and Chris is taking those ones, but there's a couple floating around on the board where maybe even all four cards are out right. on the board. Yeah. But nobody, nobody's, taken nobody's taking the first move on it yet because they're so busy trying to collect the ones that they know and shore up those commodities to make sure you they have like enough you to have score. To
0: mitigate getting negative points. <laughs> yeah. And so it's,
2: you're playing this game of, okay, well, I could get into on that all four cards are out there. And I could even chain this move together to get that one and then that one. But you can see your opponent seeing you see that. They're like, oh, they're setting up to grab two of those cards. And so they do something to mess with you. And there's a lot of back and forth that make it really interesting to try to figure out what you're going to do.
0: And we didn't talk about this one, but really briefly, if you pick up more ones than your opponent, you get an extra five bonus points, which is an interesting dynamic because if you end up with a bunch of extra ones that don't have matches, they're only going to ding you by one right. point. They're and great it's for breaking up set. It's an easy take that to your opponent to make sure that they don't get all four. All four right. We should know when they get all four, they're getting 20 points for that set. I yeah. believe, right? Or is it 10? 15.
3: It's 15. Yeah. 15. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. So you, I
0: mean, you just can't let that happen. Can't let it happen. You have to yeah. figure out how to stop it. Yeah. There's a lot going on in this game. I thought it was enjoyable. i going to move away my final. <laughs> Does anybody have anything negative to say? I mean, take that can be painful and annoying. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're a sensitive gamer. Yeah, I heard a
2: lot of cursing coming from, from <laughs> oh, the yeah. side That's of the true. table when Cameron but, and Chris were know, playing. Th-
3: there's like good cursing and then there's bad cursing, right? This is yeah. one of the good ones, I think. It's more lighthearted, like, yeah. oh, I can't believe you did that to me. Like
0: you big jerk <laughs> right. words that we can't say on this podcast.
3: Nobody's really taking it too seriously. But yeah, didn't bother me in that regard. Nah.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I don't really have much negative to add.
3: Me either. Let's wrap this baby up. Cool. I'm Go going for it Chris. first. All right. This game surprised the heck out of me. Holy crap. I am shocked by this game. I was fully expecting to be lukewarm on this when I read mm-hmm. it. Two player game, memory. I was like, meh. Right. I was almost sure I was going to give this game a three before I played it. I was wrong. This game is great, in my opinion. Okay. The memory is fun, and the reason why it's fun is because, as we've discussed, there's just so much more going on here than memory. It's important, but the movement and the way you control the movement of your pawn around the periphery of the board is just fascinating and dictating what cards you choose to take. It influences you. I locked up on this game a couple Mm -hmm. of times, big time, just going through all the permutations in my head of how it could play out. Mm -hmm. That's a good sign for me. And then add to that the special actions, which just give you one more thing to think about. There's a lot of bang for your buck here. This game is great. I'm giving this game a five. I almost gave it a six, and this could go up for me with time. I don't know why this game is not talked about more. This Mm -hmm. game never got an English language printing. That is a huge mistake. Wow. (laughs) It should. I could see this game doing well, Sure. to be totally honest. Highly recommend it. Five for me.
2: It feels like you wrote my final thoughts. Okay, <laughs> my final thoughts were: this game surprised me.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Maybe I've just listened to you review games so many times that I just write in your voice now. But no, I mean this game surprised me too. Right? Yeah, I did not expect. Looking at the box, it's not even a full size box. It's like this tiny little tiny thing, box. Yeah. Deck of cards, old art. Did not expect this to have as much depth to it as it did. Gameplay is very tense mm-hmm. throughout tough decisions it is very abstract so if you're looking for a lot of theme right there's none here yes you're witches collecting ingredients but it could be anything right (laughs) this is an abstract game (laughs) through and through but man it's a good two-player game yeah i also gave this game a five also debated giving it a six (laughs) me too man (laughs) Also don't understand why it doesn't have an English translation printing. I really think this is the type of game that some of these companies that are out there that are grabbing some of these older yes. games and kickstarting them or you know revamping them. Somebody should grab this game. I think it deserves to be more well known than it is. So 100%. Totally
3: agree. I, I had thought about the Plan B games people that mm. do like Azul and Tukey and Reef those right. games although those are all four letter games so you'd have a problem there you retheme it i guess but <laughs> that type of size box done with really good graphics this game would sell i yeah. am just so sure yeah. of that i'm so sure of that or
2: even the who did mountain goats and
0: oh, yeah. Oh, board uh, board yeah board tables, game tables yeah board game tables
3: that'd be a good one too totally agree
0: they have good art so no surprise here i enjoyed this game i feel like when i play a game and lose and still just want to rack it up and play it again, that's a sign of a really great game. It means the process of playing itself was enjoyable and probably also it wasn't a huge time and energy investment. I think that's what this game offers. It's a tricky puzzle. It's challenging. It's different each play. The only random element is like which tiles come out when. Mm -hmm. I was honestly surprised as well and impressed by this one. Visually, it doesn't look like much. The theme could be literally anything, like Jason said, but that's nothing to knock it too much because this game is awesome. I'm also going to give it a five. Ooh. Which now I'm thinking about our friends on Discord who were making, I can't remember who it was, Sol- Solid. Yeah, solid, Andrew. Say, yeah. Solid Blade. Yeah. Who did a bunch of stats and has averages <laughs> for what we rate games, hmm. which means that. Lord of the Rings, the conversation is going to be bumped even lower because I know five 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 means that it's going to be a higher average. Anyway, Lord of the Rings, the conversation is amazing. All right, but so is this game. So giving yeah. it a five. Nice this, this
2: man. One, man. Three 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 four 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 five five five. I know, right? We were, I think this is our most consistent episode yet.
3: Very in sync, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think this one is going to land in maybe our top ten reviews What
0: well, will? Maybe that's top was, fifteen. That's yeah. what I was just meaning. And I
2: kind—I of want to change my number to a six now.
3: I know, dude.
0: <laughs> I, uh, are you I'm kind of serious. I, I, I'm you trying to understand, it to is understand that, why is that allowed? I
3: didn't is that allowed a six? Because I, it's two-player, maybe. I don't know I don't play a lot of Yeah, do I, it, I'm man. Think,
2: I'm thinking about the fact that because we started this podcast, my collecting of games has decreased significantly. I've started picking up a game here or there that I think I can slot into the podcast that Chris hasn't heard about yet. But like, I don't buy a ton of games anymore because. A, I don't have time to play them. And B, you have so many that why? <laughs> right, right. But I'm thinking about this game. And I'm like, if this game got reprinted in a modern format, it would be an auto buy for me. Yeah. And right. I don't know why that wouldn't qualify as a six. I
0: probably would too. So. I mean, I didn't mention it in my final thoughts, but you guys know if you've listened to this show for any length of time, my game collection is like seven games, right? Like All I right. don't have a big collection and I only buy games if it meets the criteria. My wife and I will play it. My family will play it Mm -hmm. if I can take it out of town on trips or whatever. That's pretty much it. I don't have any reason to buy any more games. This is absolutely one that I know Casey and I would enjoy playing. I'm probably going to try to find a copy of it. And normally I reserve that honor for games that I would give a six. I'm not gonna give it a six because I have games that I have to compare it to. Sure, right. And I'm stingy, like all of the stats bear out. We've analyzed this, those of you who are listening. We've actually looked at this and shamed each other for <laughs> the ratings that we've give different games. But yeah, this one's great.
3: And I think you make a good point too. I just want to piggyback off before we finish. You mentioned playing with Casey and playing with family. That's what's so great about this game too. You could play this game with literally anybody. Yeah. But this game has incredible layers of depth. For what it is. Mm -hmm. It really blew my mind. I was just so surprised at how deep it went Mm -hmm. for how simple it is. Yeah, That's just good stuff, in my opinion.
0: Wow. It was a fun one. Kind of want to play it right now, but it's getting late. (laughs) (laughs) All
3: right. Well, if we've intrigued you, and I sure hope we have, unfortunately, there are no copies on Noble Knight. But there are 14 copies on BGG. So there is hope. And you can easily get the English rules downloaded on BGG if you need that. Like I said, it's only in German. Mm -hmm. It's totally language independent though. Get the rules on BDG. You can play this game. No problem. Like I said, 14 copies on there. Cool. All right. Those are our thoughts on. Kupfer Kessel Co.
0: All right. Well, thank you for joining us on this special Halloween 2022 edition of Hidden Gems. (laughs) If you like what we're doing here, please remember it's a huge help to us. If you would leave us a rating or review on your podcast platform of choice, Those simple things can make a difference for the show's exposure so more folks can enjoy exploring games with us. In particular, just share the podcast. Tell someone about the podcast. Share the guild with a friend. Join the Discord. You can check us out on BGG if you want to interact with us. You can share games that you think are hidden gems. You can also consider supporting the show over at patreon.com slash hidden gems podcast or purchasing a hidden gems t-shirt on our website at hiddengemsboardgamepodcast.com slash store. And until next time, I'm your host, Cameron. This is Chris. And I'm Jason. Thanks for listening. This episode of Hidden Gems, number 42, was recorded in Raleigh, North Carolina, on October 23, 2022. Join us again in two weeks as we join fellow board game podcast contributors, the Gamecasters, to review two games. One game is quite hidden, The other is very much not. Curious about what they could be? Tune in to find out. Hidden Gems is produced and edited by Chris Alley, Cameron Lockie, and Jason Yanchla. Our board, Game Geek Guild, is monitored and managed by honorary Hidden Gems team member, Ghidorah. Our Discord channel is monitored and managed by honorary Hidden Gems team member, Snoozefest. Our show's logo was illustrated by designer and artist, Caitlin Nieto check out her work on instagram at it's kaitlinietta we would love to hear from you feel free to join the discussion on our many social media accounts you can find us on facebook at hidden jims board game podcast instagram at hidden Gyms podcast, and twitter at hidden jims board disagree with one of our reviews have something you want to say about one of the games we discussed today, you can also make your voice heard on our Board Game Geek Guild at boardgamegeek.com, guild number 3874. Once again, thank you for joining us on Hidden Gems, and until next time, fellow gem seekers, enjoy your games and enjoy your search.
1: Signed, Dr. Alley, moderator, Evil League of Evil, BGG Guild number 3874. All oh, of love. X is <laughs> <laughs> O's, Dr. Alley.
3: <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, yeah. It, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. good. <laughs> Alright, hold well, let me get myself together. That's of no value. That's of no value. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's of no value. Get to the job Kunitsia. <laughs> <laughs> give it like
3: more of a rant. <laughs> you want me to go high and yeah. I'm resisting you right now.
0: <laughs> All
3: right, I'm I'm going to say it more pensively. How about yeah, that? Yeah, like I'm yeah. thinking. Like, like I've got my finger on my chin, yes. walk pacing around the laboratory. Okay. This is the end. We got to get it right.
0: Your new primary contributor is
3: here. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the predator laugh. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's very, that's very. <laughs> what well, can I do? I can't
1: yeah, do. Oh, you know, yeah. all right, let me give let me my. <laughs> I don't know if I can get that high.
0: Monster. Monster. <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: I don't think I need to do Igor in that, but we'll see.
0: You are Igor. They were wrong, man.
1: They were wrong, man, weren't they?
0: Oh, <laughs> 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 <Yes>. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I can't do that. <laughs>